How does one person move from the scalpel of a cancer surgeon to becoming a filmmaker and the author of a cookbook? Well, it all happens when a person chooses that their life, when a life transition comes, it's just a chapter. It's not the whole story. Today on episode 32 of Cancer and Comedy, we have a lessons learned from Dr. George Ellis. My name is Dr. Brad Miller, and my life has had its share of transitions as well, from being a pastor to now being the producer of the Cancer and Comedy podcast, all because when I got cancer, I decided it wasn't the end of the story for me, it was a new chapter. We're here to teach you more about just that, how in your life, no matter what is going on, you can live your life to the fullest, and every story is just the beginning of a new chapter in your life. So what's your next move? Want to learn more? Listen on, my friend. Listen on. Cancer got you down? Pretty grim, huh? How about a show that turns the grim into a grin? Way to go. You made it here to the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, the show to lift you up with hope and humor that heals. Hey there, Lifter Uppers. I'm Deb Creer, the co-host of Cancer and Comedy, where our mission is to heal cancer-impacted people through hope and humor, something we like to call turning the grim into a grin. Thank you so much for joining our conversation today as we talk about reinventing your life and pursuing your dreams beyond the trauma of a cancer diagnosis. This is the episode where you will be inspired to remain or get creative in your life, no matter what your circumstances are. So here is the host of Cancer and Comedy, Dr. Brad Miller. Hey, thank you, Deb. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to spend some time with you and with our cancer and uh, comedy audience. Uh, good folks here. We like to call them lifter uppers, the folks who are committed to living a life where we turn the grim of cancer into the grin of celebrating life. We are all about here creating a community, a community of people who are supportive of one another, who help people get through things, to help them to cope with hope, whether you're facing cancer or some other uh, really issue that kind of brings you down a little bit. We're all about uh, using hope and humor in order to have healing. So we're here to get uh, get people connected to our community, and we hope that you can do just that by going to our website and following our podcast at cancerandcomedy.com slash follow. Hey, Deb, here's a, I got a couple of, a, a, a couple of dad jokes for you just to get things rolling here. Here, here's one here. Why did the man return the camouflage jacket gift he was given? I don't know. Why did he return the camouflage gift? He just, he just couldn't see himself wearing it. <laughs> what? Here, here's one more for, for you. I used to have a fear of hurdles, but I got over it. There you go. Little bump. There you go. <laughs> well, today on Cancer and Comedy, our guest is Dr. George Ellis, a urologist who, among other things, treats cancer. He is also a filmmaker and the author of a cookbook with his son. George is quite the creative guy with many varied interests and dreams that he is pursuing. 
Indeed, I had a just a wonderful conversation with uh, with George, Dr. George Ellis, about his medical career as a urologist, uh, treating people with the various ailments in this area, including uh, cancer, prostate cancer, and other cancers of the bladder, and so on, and including some of his take on how to do basically bedside manner, how to approach things from a storytelling aspect in terms of how he related to patients. We also talked about how he is using his uh, medical uh, career and his medical services in a volunteer manner with uh, underinsured people in particular. And there's some really uh, just some really great parts of our conversation surrounding that. But he, that's not all. He's not just a doctor treating people with cancer. He is also a filmmaker, and he has his own filmmaking production company, and he does several things in that world. So he's a very creative person that way. He makes horror films, among other things that he does. And he also is a writer and a chef in his own right, working with his son, whose name is Adam, to write a cookbook. And it's all about taking kind of a surgeon's or a doctor's approach to cooking, which is kind of an interesting take. Here's the thing, though, about what I learned about uh, George. He's all really all about pursuing your dreams, about uh, kind of giving back to others and to not letting transitions in life, whether they be uh, health related or, you know, transitions like retirement, uh, kind of be uh, hold you back or be anything that is less than you pursuing great things in your life. And and I think he gives us some great uh, lessons here about not being consumed by that kind of, which is kind of right before us, but to still pursue our, our dreams, no matter if the crisis is cancer or something else. And that's one of, that's one of the ways I think he gives some lessons on how to cope with the cancer and other things to unleash your creative side. Now, now Deb, I've got to know you as a very uh, creative person, but let me ask you about uh, how has your kind of creative side of your life been uh, altered, changed, unleashed, anything perhaps in your life uh, by uh, coping with cancer? Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's funny you say I'm creative and I'm like, no, um, you know, it's I'm certainly not artistically creative. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler and paint by numbers even defeat me. But, you know, it is something that I think when we have cancer or something you know very serious, we need to start thinking we need to do whatever it is now. You know, so many times we are putting things off. You know, I'm going to volunteer more. I'm going to paint pictures. I'm going to do all those things at some point in the future. You know, whether it's when we're done um, with our job, you know, when we retired, maybe it's, you know, we're, we're raising a family. And so we think, okay, well, once the kids are off in college, all of those various things. And I think what is so important is no matter what, for everyone Don't put those dreams off. Do them now because you never know what the future holds and your dreams are going to bring you joy. So why don't you want more joy now? That's an awesome way to put it. Don't, why hold back? You know, why, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes we have felt like, um, you know, that we had a career or we were raising kids or we had to, you know, deal with things in a marriage or something else, or, uh, you know, we kind of wait to retire or wait to something else. Well, why wait? You know, let's get after it uh, right now. And sometimes uh, cancer or something else becomes an impetus to, to do 
to do some different things in life, like, like George did. And I know you you write on your uh, on your website and on your uh, Facebook uh, uh, group a lot, and uh, that that's awesome. There. What do you think? What are some of the things that you kind of learned a little bit about George that may be helpful? You think to our audience as we uh, get ready to dive into this interview here, right? Well, you know, he did talk about giving back, and you know, we've we've talked about that. He talked about the importance of making sure that you are informed, whether you're the patient, the family, the whoever, make sure you know what the heck is going on. Right. Um, and then, of course, I love this this strategy is you have to build your tribe of people around you. You know, you we we should not go through any of this alone. And who can we bring in to help us? You know, and, and some of it is, you know, who is our medical team? who might be our spiritual people who are going to contribute? Who are the people who are just going to make us laugh when we are feeling absolutely, totally miserable? You know, all of those things. It's so important to build your tribe. Well, it's going to be uh, great to hear from him. His name, again, is uh, Dr. George Ellis, urologist, filmmaker, author. The book he created with his son is A Surgical Approach to Culinary Arts. His son is actually a chef, a butcher, uh, specializing in in meats and so on. So there's some interesting stuff we're going to talk about there as well. So I look look, look forward to it. Right. I can't wait to read his book. So following the interview, you're going to want to stick around for, yep, there's even more, Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. And of course, our faith it or break it segment. We would love for you to be a part of Cancer and Comedy, where together we crush cancer with a message to cope with hope and humor. Please follow Cancer and Comedy at cancerandcomedy.com slash follow. Now, here's Dr. Brad and our interview with Dr. George Ellis. Our guest today on Cancer and Comedy is Dr. George F. Ellis, and he is an American physician and urologic surgeon. He's also a writer and a filmmaker. He's performed thousands of urologic procedures, been published in many journals and scientific literature, and he also worked with the underinsured as a volunteer. Right now, he's involved with making movies, appears in various film festivals, and is the author of of the upcoming book, A Surgical Approach to Culinary Arts, along with his son, who is. So welcome to our uh, podcast conversation today, Dr. George Ellis. Yeah, thank you for having me. And you got a bit of an interesting, a fascinating, a little bit of an eclectic story. Something that's happened to me recently would be in the past, about a year ago, I was in the mountains with my son in Colorado. He lives in Denver, and uh, we were hiking. We were about 7,000 feet, and I said, what would I want to do if I want to do something big than just, and I said, I've always been in somehow in making movies, either for public health messages that we've done or some promotional videos we've done for the hospital. My first experience was as an extra in a couple of movies when I was in medical school. So I said, I'm going to start making movies. And I started this company, Coronado Beach Productions. And I was in a room of directors And one of the things I noticed was that a lot of people had ideas and things they wanted to do in film. They just didn't have the funding. And I said, you know what I can do? I can start doing this kind of work and then eventually help others fund their wishes and dreams in the film world. And I think that would make a lot of people happy because those budding filmmakers will have an opportunity to actually make their film. So that's what's happened. I funded my own movies, but 
I'm now involved with two different projects, one that's ongoing now called The 12 Mile, which is more of a horror movie. You can go to the12mile.com to see that. <laughs> yeah, sound like you've, and sound like that's been a, a labor of love and labor of joy for you. And a bit of a twist and turn over your background and career as a as a urologist, it seems like to me. So what kind of led to this story about how did you end up into urology and dealing with severe things that people deal with to the film world and eventually becoming an author? Tell me a little bit of that, how that journey navigated for you. So when I was in medical school and then mostly as a resident in training in Syracuse, and then the background of film and wanting to do film and being involved with the media, that was always of interest to me. So I, I wrote some book chapters with some other doctors and attorneys. Then things changed. I was very busy with my practice. I was doing a lot of trauma and emergency room work. And so that gives you very little time to dedicate to other things. Mm -hmm. So when I was uh, heading towards retirement a few years ago, I was thinking maybe I should do something creative. And like I said, a year ago, I started thinking about films and I said, this is where I'm going now. I'm going to do this. And so here we are. Interesting. And that obviously I can just tell by looking at you on video here, you got a big smile on your face and you seem like a guy who, when you made the turn at retirement, you leaned into, you came out of pretty intense work as an MD, as a doctor of urology and dealing with where we, we talk about medical procedures and cancer. And I'm sure you dealt with prostate cancer and other things like that in your career. Some pretty serious stuff. That's something you really enjoy and it still is a benefit to others. And you also have this part of your life where you still volunteer your medical skills to be helpful to people who are underserved or underinsured and things like that. So I started doing volunteer work probably 24 years ago, and I, I was helping the county with a situation that occurred where some of the local emergency rooms were shutting down. And so the few emergency rooms that were left were getting flooded with a lot of patients. And some of them were patients who were uninsured, who had no primary care. So they were coming to the emergency room with so I helped the county create clinics around Orange County, which is where Orlando's located, so that we could have a primary care access for those patients who didn't have any insurance. And a lot of these facilities were either free or on a sliding scale of how much money they'd have to pay based on their income. And so I always said to myself, while you're volunteering, you could always even when you retire, continue to do the volunteer work because that continues to help people. And one, people are so grateful. And two, there's no insurance work. There's no paperwork. There's no approvals, referrals, all those okay. things that in a regular practice have become standard in medical practice. And then you are able to basically give something back that kind of cuts through a lot of that stuff and gets to the real heart of the matter, which is healing, right? Healing process. That's exactly right. And a lot of patients that I see, they have a variety of different conditions like urinary tract infections, kidney stones, prostate issues. And under normal circumstances, it's hard for them just to see a regular doctor sure. because the socioeconomic conditions, much less see a, a specialist like myself. Mm -hmm. And at the time, 20 some odd years ago, I was able to recruit some of my colleagues to join the volunteer effort in 
helping some of these folks who had difficulty in accessing care and how we serve those folks. And I got to tell you, everybody tells me that those patients that they treat or, or that I treat, they're so happy with the opportunity to be able to have treatment. And, and we give them surveys to fill out, very brief surveys. They're happy they can see a, a, some kind of a doctor. Tell us a personal story, if you will, about a person that you encountered in this treatment process who may have come into the process beat up by the world. You know, a lot of these folks have had difficulties in all kinds of ways, not just medical, right? But tell, I'd like to hear a story, if you will, about somebody that you were able to see or treat or be a part of their life and kind of the before and after, whatever problem they had, whatever the urological issue they had, and you're able to treat it medically, but how they may have come out the other side a little better place. Can, do you have a story like that? Yeah, I, I do. I, I saw a patient a couple of weeks ago, and she had a condition where her, she had a lot of irritation in her bladder. And she also had some blood in her bladder that kept coming up on her urine tests. So we did a full investigation with CT scans and ultrasound. And then I did something called a cystoscopy, which is where we look inside the bladder with the scope. And I, I didn't find anything of any severity, no stones, no issues like that. But what I did find is that she had this chronic sort of small amount of blood in her urine with no known cause. And some people have that. It's, it's called benign hematuria, which is a small amount of blood. And I was able to treat her with some medication that she had never been on. And when I saw her last time, which was probably the third or fourth time I saw her, she was so happy that finally she was relieved of these symptoms of the same symptoms you have when you have a urinary infection that that irritation that that frequency like you always have to go and right. finally she got relief from that and so that was a good thing for her mm, that is awesome and i love to hear stories like that because really what we're all about here on our podcast is about life transformation for the grim things that happen to us to, we like to call it going from the grim to the grin and you know, and you have this uh, vibe about you george of not only wanting to see transformation medically but you saw her emotional countenance change as well. And I'm a prostate cancer patient, and I had prostate surgery, prostate cancer surgery just about a little less than a year ago. And so that's part of my life. And But I, that all happened to me right after I retired. And so that kind of led me to doing life as a pastor before that, pretty involved with that. And now I'm involved with this. This is my entertainment thing that I do try to give back. You come from the perspective of the doctor who's still volunteering like in your medical field, but you're also getting into the film work and so on. What I'd like to talk to you about is the kind of the, why those worlds cross paths for a minute, where they intersect. What do you think is the re relationship in the, your experience about things such as a good attitude or good humor or mental health issues in terms of its relationship to medical issues and also its relationship towards having good outcomes? Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that one of the things you just mentioned was the intersection between those processes. And I think the intersection right there is called service to others mm -hmm. and where we, we want to serve other people. We have a calling to, to do that. Obviously, you've had that and you've done that most of your life. And of course, as doctors, we do, we do the same thing. But one of the things I've noticed in, in my medical career is that those people who have a good attitude usually fare better in healing 
in in their approach to their treatment, in compliance to 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 their treatment and taking medication. And in in this particular example that I just gave you, I could tell that this patient was going to do okay because after I finished her procedure, she was almost like halfway there. I told her I didn't find anything serious. Everything seemed to be in order, but she was having these symptoms and she wanted some relief. And I could tell with her smile that she was hopeful. She had hope. And that's what she was looking for. So when I prescribed the medication and she came back to see me and I said, how's everything? And she said, oh, much, much better. And there's your answer. That's what it's all about. And I think that comes back the other way, too, doesn't it, uh, George, where it helps you, too, as the doctor and to be affirmed in that. And I'm sure there's uh, doc- medical doctors and other folks who have a some have a good attitude and some don't when they go into things. And sometimes they get bogged down with all the administrative nonsense. And But did you see that difference, too, when you get that feedback from a patient that helps you, too, in terms of wanting to keep giving back? Does it help? What it does, it, it gives you motivation. Okay. To to either continue what you're doing, or if you get to a point where things are a challenge, we have challenging patients sometimes. We don't quite know what the answer is. Sometimes we need another specialist to take another look. So all that makes us feel like we got to get to the goal. And the goal is to give people hope and relieve them of their situation so they can move on with their life with their work, with their family. And that's the big thing that that I get is that if I could help somebody, I want to do that. I want to figure out every way I can do that. And if you can offer that hope, it's a good thing because really, whether it's medical challenges or when you deal with underinsured, there's got to be financial challenges, other things like that. You can deal with some pretty, when you deal with bad news, especially medically, it can knock you or rock you back your heels. I remember when I met with my, when the first meetings I had with my urologist more than a year ago now, he was a super nice guy and I really like him a lot, but he says, you've got prostate cancer and that means impotence and incontinence. <laughs> and it means that you, if you don't do something about it, your life is going to be uh, cut short, uh, likely. And those are pretty heavy things to deal with because that deals with your self-esteem. It deals with your life. It deals with your marriage and all kinds of other things. And you're dealing with some heavy stuff. And you're trying to navigate that as the medical part, but also offer hope. Can you give us some tangible ways that maybe our audience might see hope or might see a light at the in the midst of those kind of those dark places? When that, when you know, I'm sure you've been in that place where you've had to give somebody bad news. If you tell somebody they got prostate cancer, that's not good news. But I want to, could you speak to this a little bit? How what you from your perspective, how you can offer a little hope to people even are dealing with some really dire situations? Yeah. Recently, I saw a TV show and it was a there was a medical situation and the person was given like really bad news and it was a, a terminal condition. And the doctor said to the patient after he gave him the speech, he said, I'm sorry. And I said, I never say I'm sorry to a patient because it's you're already feel defeated. Right. Because it doesn't feel good to say oh, here's some bad news, and now I'm sorry about it. So for me, I always want the patient to be informed about everything, all the treatment options, what, what is the condition? And for example, in prostate cancer, you, you probably heard the term active surveillance. 
And so that, that came from the fact that we were doing so much surgery and with the complications you just described, was there another way for certain patients that we could manage them? I would say that at this point, giving people their information and making sure they're informed, even if it is potentially a terminal condition, they want to know. They want to know if they have to have all their affairs in order, if all all the, the things that could happen. So I think that the information, and I'm never opposed to people going on the internet to looking at things Mm -hmm. and coming back and telling me I found this and this, and then I will tell them this information is accurate and this is not so accurate. I think the information that they get and the decision that they make thereafter is essential. Yeah. And I think part of where we're going here with this, George, has to do with relationship between the patient and the doc and other people involved. As a pastor, I've been at the bedside of many people. It makes a big difference what that doc says at that similar moment. You give the bad news, but if the doc doc says, I'm sorry, and walks out the door, that's a big difference than if the doc says, okay, here's the bad news. Here's what we, here's some options that we can do about it. And what is, what's next steps, that, that type of thing. I'm just wondering out of your own experience, have you seen that or is there any training that goes along for MDs regarding how to handle the interpersonal part of things that what bedside manner, they, they call it things like that. Is there any observations you might have about that? I would say today there is more focus on the approach that you have with a patient. And, and that comes from working in the hospital as a medical student working in the hospital as a a resident in training. And you're always learning from other doctors, especially the ones who have been in practice for a while, as to how you approach it. Now, I'll tell you that 40 years ago, there wasn't as much training because it was more like you have a patient, you have a condition, you diagnose it, you give them medicine. Or same thing, they have a diagnosis, you do surgery, and that kind of thing. The whole I don't want to say human part. It, it was hard. There was a time years ago when if a patient was given a cancer diagnosis, the family was informed and the patient was not. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I always thought that. Why was that? But that was the way it was in those days. They didn't want the patient to be frightened. So they told the family. And then now the family's kind of stuck and telling, what do I tell them? Yeah, that, that's not fair either, is it? <laughs> that's not fair. Or not, it, was not a di- it was a different. It was a different time. Yeah, indeed. I've experienced some of that in my life, especially early in my career. Hey, my friend, I just wanted to share with you that uh, here on Cancer and Comedy, we have a special gift for you that's going to help you if you're impacted uh, by cancer in your life and you want to do something about it. It's, it's our free course. We call it the HHH or Triple H course, which stands for Healing Through Hope and Humor. It helps you to develop your cancer coping credo, a statement that's going to help you get, get through that. It's a free course. just takes you. It's a five short sessions. It's all audio. You can get that free course at cancerandcomedy.com slash free. Let's begin to see now what you're doing now. Do you see how filmmaking and now as an author of a book, and I want to talk about your book here in a minute, especially in terms of diet and cancer and things like that, but filmmaking as an expression 
of offering people hope as well, offering people some entertainment or something to put either a thrill or a smile or a laugh or a, a transformational moment. But do you see any correlation now between the entertainment world and the healing world? Any correlation? There? Filmmaking is telling a story. Okay. It's always the same thing. There's some story. And sometimes by telling the story, you put the person in another world that's outside of their world and they enter somebody else's situation. It could be something very good. It could be something like a horror movie. It could be a love story. And it could be a documentary where they're getting some information. And so for the five, 10, 30 minutes, 90 minutes of the movie, and they're transported into a different world and they get a different perspective on what they're living and could sometimes get some parallel with some of the things that they're dealing with and trying to resolve those things as they move forward. They watch a movie and they say something to the effect of, I got lost in it or absorbed in it. As you say, I think you said something in effect of transported you in, in, into that and that helps. And certainly it can be for someone who deals with cancer or other things like that, it can be a distraction as well. I know I like to watch comedic TV shows and movies and things like that just to make you laugh for a minute. Uh, so that sounds like a little bit of what you're working on there with your production company, help people to maybe a bit of a distraction. But what do you find right now about filmmaking that's feeding your soul? When you look at a movie, I'll, I'll give you a little secret. There's sometimes a trailer yeah. that, that kind of gives you a preview. The trailer and the beginning of the movie are what we call the hook. That's going to hook you to keep watching the movie. And once you've got, once you've been hooked, the rest of the story is going to keep you entertained. And so for me, my, I guess my pleasure is being able to find the hook, whether it's the trailer or the beginning of the movie or both, so that people continue to be interested to watch the rest of it. Now, one of the movies, the first movie I did, which has won several awards, is just a five-minute independent short movie. Uh -huh. and, and so that doesn't take a lot of time to watch a movie for five minutes. But when you get into more longer movies and feature films, you've really got to make sure you've got the hook that keeps people interested. And there is a positive feedback that's, of course, very rewarding. And recently, you've been able to do something that I understand is pretty rewarding for you. You're working with your son, and you've written a book. And there's a real interesting kind of a curveball, if you will, in terms of understanding your life and your son's life and how it relates to cooking and other things as well. So I don't want to give away too much here. Tell us the, the name of the book and how it came about that you and your son came to write this book. My, my son is also a, a certified nursing assistant, and that's like a, a licensed profession. And and tell us your son's name. Adam. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Adam, Adam George from me, Adam George. And so he helped me in my office for several years. He was assisting me with some procedures. And I think he saw that as something that he could do with his hands. And so he got a job at a local store that does a lot of beef and a lot of specialty foods. And he started learning how to cut meat. And at a certain point, maybe he was a year into it, he said to me, I cut meat like a surgeon mm -hmm. because I worked with you in the office. And so I said, okay, that's good. And then that's when it clicked. I said, he's cutting meat. I, I cut for surgery, there's, there are some parallels there. 
And then there are some differences. So those are the things that we bring out in the book. And we also have some recipes in there. And my mother was French, so I learned a lot of cooking from her. But, but he learned a lot of cooking from, from his job. And one Christmas, he bought me a smoker. So I learned how to smoke meat. And he does well as far as grilling food. And obviously, he knows all the different cuts and everything. So it's been a constant work in progress. See, and the, the title of the book is A Surgical Approach to Culinary Arts. But is this an actual cookbook or is it something else? How this is going to benefit our audience here or other audiences? Yeah, as a, a book with recipes, that'll help people to look at how many of what ingredients go into a certain recipe. But it also gives us a little bit of a perspective of a journey. Myself as a doctor and my son as a meat cutter lived in parallel worlds that sometimes came together and ultimately came together in, in this book. A lot of the diagrams that are in the book are about anatomy of the cow and the different cuts of meat, the Delmonico and the, and the strip. And so he made some very nice diagrams that, are, that will be included in the book. So I think it's a well-rounded approach, but I have to tell you where the title came from. Okay, please. So when I was in, in residency, one of my colleagues, who was a surgeon also, he went up to Mount Everest three times. Oh my goodness, wow. And he gave us a talk once amongst all the surgeons, and it was called A Surgical Approach to Mount Everest. And I never forgot that title. And I said to myself, I put that together and I said, this is great. The surgical approach is what I do, but the culinary arts is what my son Adam does. Wow. So that's how that all that came together. And I think there may be some correlation even to some of the health con health aspects we've been talking about a little bit that we were, I'm not a nutritionist, but I do follow a keto approach to, to my own diet. I'm a meat eater in that, in that regard. And do you think there is some correlation or some benefit to people in terms of dealing with their health? Would there be some things there that would at least be helpful to people health-wise? Yes. Yes, because in, in most of the uh, recipes that we've written, some of them we've written in a standard way. So for example, in a French recipe, they're going to use a lot of cream, a lot of butter, a lot of things that may not necessarily be healthy for someone who has cholesterol issues. We've written some alternatives to those ingredients that people can use that still make the dish flavorful, but in, in a healthier manner if they're focused on, on a healthy approach to making that particular recipe. When people have a profound health issue, at least for me, and I think many people, that also becomes a life transition moment for everything, including your diet. Certainly with myself, when I was diagnosed with cancer, that was also a reminder about I'm diabetic and so on, about my own health. And so I changed a lot of my health habits had huge improvements on my diabetes and some other things like that because I changed my eating patterns and exercise almost every day and that kind of thing. Some things I didn't do before. So there's such, what I'm getting at here is what we're talking about here, George, has to do with the actions people can take to change their life. You changed your life when you retired and you decided to go in a, a little different approach. A lot of docs, when they retire, go play golf, right? And that's cool. That's right. Another one with, with golf. But you went off into filmmaking and writing a book and so on. And you seem to be very delighted with that. We talked about the transitions you made with some of your patients, especially some of the people who are underinsured and so on, where they you know, were able to navigate some difficult circumstances and have 
life transitions there. You talk about your son being involved with his life in terms of coordinating with you. And may, many people may have said, following your dad's uh, footsteps here and going to become a, a doctor, he had some training in that, but it led him in a little different path. And you converge back together here in, in this area here. And I think there's some value in understanding the value in transitions that take place in pursuing a dream, pursuing a new walk of life. First of all, what, what you said is exactly accurate. That's the summary, as we could put it. But the value is, I have a, a philosophy that I don't want to end up at a certain point where I have anything that I say, gee, I wish I had done that. I don't want to get to that. So for me, I've said to myself, if you, meaning me, if I want to do something, I got to go off and do it. If I want to take a trip, I've got to do it. If I want to try a restaurant, I've got to do it. Because as well as I do, we're not here forever. And we want to be able to enjoy what we have. And if we can benefit our fellow man, isn't that what it's all about? Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's have one. I want to frame our conversation. I began our conversation by saying something, put a kind of smile on your face. And I want to conclude it this way. Is there any experiences that you had in practice or in your life that just struck you funny? We call this the Cancer and Comedy Show, but just struck you funny. To give you an example, when <laughs> for me, when I was recovering from my cancer surgery, I had a catheter for a couple of weeks and my dog got, who was an older dog, got confused and got somehow tangled up in my catheter line. And I ended up following my dog around for a little bit. It was uh, painful, but cute, funny as heck scene. I just wonder if you have anything in your life or experiences that just struck you funny. I'll, I'll tell you, I think there's a lot of moments that we have that, that are funny. You talk about a catheter. Some people do interesting things. They have very finite instructions as to how to handle it. And they come back to have their catheter removed and you find strange things on the catheter or the catheter is plugged up and now their bladder is full and they're not sure why it's draining around the catheter, which oh. is not supposed to. Yeah. And, and then you realize well, the catheter is plugged, but they never bothered to say anything. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> I, I think that's interesting. Uh, one of the things that was funny is that when I was in the hospital, I had a patient, we have this bladder irrigation system. So it's a catheter right. and there's fluid that goes in one way and it comes out another way. And I went to visit the patient in the morning and it had been rigged up in a way that made absolutely no sense. So the outflow was used for the inflow oh my. and the inflow had nothing on it. So it's not designed to work that way. And I, fortunately, it was time for that catheter to come out. Okay. So it's okay. So we won't even deal with this anymore because to me, it's like, obviously it was somebody in the hospital who was tending to that patient that wasn't quite familiar with the system, which that's the way it works sometimes. Sure. Just one more thing. What would be your word of kind of encouragement to someone out there who may be dealing with whatever it is? So they've mentored their urologist. And they've had bad news of some sort, cancer or whatever it would be. What would be your closing words for our conversation of encouragement to that person to get them through? I, I would say re recruit a, a support group. It may be your family. It may be friends or both. So recruit people to, to help you through this, but get informed about what is happening, why it's happening. And I have some patients who almost end up knowing as much as I do 
because they study it and they they really research the whole process. Well, George, you've been a fascinating guest. Thank you for that great word of encouragement there. We love to hear that. That's what this podcast is really all about, is trying to offer a different light. You talk about your book, A Surgical Approach to Culinary Arts, being different sides of things. Some people say, why do you call your podcast Cancer and Comedy? We want to try to see it kind of there's a grand part of life and there's a an uplifting part of life. And you certainly have embodied that in our conversation here today. So how can people, if people want to reach out to you and find out more about what you're involved with, either your book or your 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 endeavors in filmmaking, how can people be in contact with you, George? The name of the company, which is Carnado Beach Productions, you can find the information. You can find trailers to my movies, some of the videos that I've done. You can find the latest things that, that I've done you can see some of the awards that my films have earned and you can get educated about what I'm doing and, and hopefully you'll follow and subscribe to my channels. Absolutely. We'll put connections and links to everything you're about, Dr. George Ellis, at our website, cancerandcomedy.com. His book is A Surgical Approach to Culinary Arts, Dr. George F. Ellis, and he co-wrote that along with his son, Adam Ellis, MD, our special guest here today on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Now let's lighten things up just a little bit by having our Cancer and Comedy segment, Dr. Brad's Bad Joke of the Day. So a man sees his friend on, on, on the street and asks him, hey, uh, you look a little down. What's, uh, what's wrong? What's going on? His friend uh, sighs. Oh, man, I really thought today was going to be my day. I woke up exactly at 7 o'clock a.m. and realized that the date was July the 7th, the seventh day of the seventh month. Then I put on my pants and I found exactly $7 in my pocket. So I knew this must be a sign. So I took the number seven bus down to the horse race track. Would you believe it? The seventh horse in the seventh race was named 7-Up, and he was running at 7-1 odds. So I bet $700 on him. What happened, said his buddy? He came in seventh. Lifters, let's now turn to Dr. Brad's Faith It or Break It segment. It's always something. That's the title of a book that came out uh, about 20 years ago by the comedian Gilda Radner. It's always something was uh, a part of the character she played on the uh, great, great, great comedy show, Saturday Night Live. One of my favorites of all time. She was in the original cast. And one of her catchphrases she used, one of the characters she had was called, it was always something, like always something's going to go bad, always going to something go haywire in your life. And in her life, uh, something really bad and haywire did happen. She had ovarian cancer. And uh, not too long after she was married to the actor, uh, Gene Wilder, a couple years later, she went through very hard cancer treatments and uh, terrible suffering in many ways. And uh, she uh, died of ovarian cancer when she was in her early 40s. And she wrote a book in which she narrates uh, called It's Always Something. And basically, she calls it a uh, a seriously... Uh, unfunny book or seriously funny book is what, what she calls it. I'm going to do a deeper dive on this in an upcoming episode of Cancer and Comedy. Uh, 
But it's the 20th uh, anniversary of this book coming out and the rev- revised edition of the book. I've been reading it here recently. And one of the people who was a good friend and actually the one of the psychotherapists of Gilda Radner wrote a uh, rev- uh, wrote a supplement uh, to the book where she shares a couple of things about how this whole deal where uh, things can be cruising along in your life and then something bad happens like cancer and how do you handle it? And what are some of the lessons learned from the life of, of Gilda Radner? Here's just a couple of those things. I'm going to apply a scripture to it here, which I think is, is applicable. And she just says, uh, Joanna Bold is her name, and she's a cancer therapist and a friend of Gilda Radner's. And and she said some of the things that she learned uh, from uh, Gilda and writing in front of the book and from her life was that whatever your personal way of learning to live w- with cancer is surround yourself with love and support however you can find it. That's a great advice, isn't it? Another one is never forget that you are an expert in the matter of your own needs. You're the expert. Another point is there is no right or wrong as you put together your own ways of living with cancer. And the next point is to make the best of the world that you have right now. And the final point that Joanna Bull makes about Gilda Radner is there are no perfect endings. So don't look for perfect endings, but allow not knowing to lead you to a deeper appreciation of life and to get so that you, so you, so you can get your joy back. And so the outcome is revealed in your joy. So there are some great things. There are some lessons learned that it is always something. Something can happen, and sometimes it's cancer, sometimes it's something else. But about the only thing we know for sure is that the unexpected and bad things are going to happen to you. It might be a financial reversal, it might be a divorce, it might be some other uh, situation at work, you lose your job, and a number of things can happen, and they will happen, but what do you do? How do you do it? Well, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 3, it says there's a time for everything. I think that applies to a lot of the situations we talk about here on cancer and comedy, and certainly applies to the life of Gilda Radner. That's one of the lessons we can learn from her. It's always something is what Gilda says in the Bible. <clears throat> it says there's a time for everything. There's a time for everything, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and following says, and everything on earth has its special season. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pull up plants. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to destroy and a time to build. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to be sad and a time to dance. Some great stuff there. I would just invite you to apply that to your life. I know in the book I've been reading about Gilder Bradner, this whole, when it says there in Ecclesiastes, there's there's a there's a, a time to be sad and a time to dance. She threw herself, among other things, into dancing. She learned some very specific, uh, some very uh, intricate dances that she did even during her cancer treatments that helped her to have fulfillment in life. I just invite you to understand that, yeah, things are going to happen, but uh, you choose things, just like kind of like what uh, uh, we learned from Gilda. There are no perfect endings, but you can look for ways to appreciate your joy and to get your joy back, even though the outcome may be not what we anticipated. There's always something. So we're here for you to be helpful to you. If you need me to be helpful to you or you'd like to be helpful to me, reach out to me 
at brad at cancerandcomedy.com. And that's our Faith It or Break It segment. Well, Lifter Uppers, this brings us to the close of this episode of the Cancer and Comedy podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Cancer and Comedy is all about telling uplifting stories of people like you who are kicking cancer's butt with healing through hope and humor. Did you know that you can join those of us who are turning the grim into grins by telling us your uplifting story? Just go to cancerandcomedy.com slash voice message. That's all for now. Please join us next time on Cancer and Comedy. And if you like what you hear, please pass this podcast on to someone in your life who needs to turn their grim into a grin. For Dr. Brad Miller, I'm Deb Creer, reminding you that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Cancer and Comedy Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Make sure you visit our website, cancerandcomedy.com, where you can follow the show and get our newsletter. Like what you hear? Then tell a friend about Cancer and Comedy, the show that lifts your spirits with hope and humor that heals. Until next time, keep turning the grim into a grin. Grim.